Hey church, my name is Nathaniel if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. I'm part of the team here at BPCC leading our youth ministry and today I'll be unpacking for us Jesus' words in John chapter 17. But first, as a teenager, I was fascinated by spy stories. In particular, I was really interested by the gadgets that spies, both real and fictional, use. One of the most common and effective types of spy gadgets is the hidden microphone, a little bug, which you can plant so you can listen in on a conversation without being detected. Now, these are particularly effective because when you can listen in on a conversation between two powerful people, you can discover what is really important to them. You can learn about where their priorities are and what they are thinking about. And in today's passage, we're going to explore a part of the Bible where we can have a similar experience. We get to listen in on the longest recorded prayer of Jesus himself, found in John chapter 17. We get to hear a conversation between God the Son and God the Father. And we're not secretive eavesdroppers. We are invited in to hear what Jesus has to say to his Father in heaven. From it, we get a glimpse not only into the heart of Jesus himself, but into the heart of prayer. If you've been joining us over the last nine weeks, you'll know that we have been looking through Jesus' words in John chapters 13 to 16, which is where we read of his conversation, his final conversation with his disciples before he goes to the cross to to give his life for the world. He prepares them for what is to come and he reminds them of what he has taught them. We've learned a great deal about our relationship with Jesus and to one another, to the world around us and to the Holy Spirit. And now in John chapter 17, Jesus turns from speaking to his disciples and he prays to his Father. It's the greatest prayer ever offered and it follows one of the greatest sermons ever preached. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is one of the most well-known preachers of the last 100 years, describes this chapter as one of the richest and most sublime statements to be found anywhere, even in the scriptures themselves. These are incredibly powerful and encouraging words. Now, this chapter is not necessarily an instruction guide for how we are to pray, Rather, it shows us how Jesus himself prayed. It gives us some insight into the heart of Jesus. And from that, we can understand where we want our priorities to lie. And that shapes the way that we want to pray. If you're a Christian, I hope that this excites you as much as it excites me. This is a unique and particularly encouraging opportunity for us. No matter where you are at in your Christian journey, no matter how many years of following Jesus uh, you've you've experienced, we are listening in on the words of our Saviour himself. These are eternally relevant to all of us. And I hope that through this chapter you will be inspired, both in your, your outlook to life and your outlook on prayer. But maybe you aren't a Christian. Maybe you're wondering whether there is really anything to be found in this passage for you. Maybe you're wondering if it's got any value for you. Let me assure you that it does. Jesus claims to be God himself. He claimed that he had come from heaven to earth to make a way for us to be made right with God. 
so that we could be reconciled with God. And his message is of eternal importance, that he is the only way to be saved. And even if you put the divine aside, the man Jesus has had a colossal impact on world history. And in this chapter, we get to look into the heart of Jesus himself. We get a glimpse into what he is most concerned about. You might not be totally sure about the claims which the Bible makes about Jesus, but I hope that through this chapter, you will see how compelling the person of Jesus is. Now, you will notice this is a long passage, and seeing how excited that I am about it, you might be kind of concerned that we'll keep on going until tomorrow morning. Now, worry not, it is true that there is a lot that can be said about this chapter. In fact, that preacher who I mentioned just earlier, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he preached a series of 48 sermons on this one chapter. It's a cracker of a series. I have it here as a book, a book which is 630 pages long, all sermons on this one chapter. So today, I'm not going to be unpacking everything that John 17 has to say. Rather, I'm going to be summarizing some key points. But I would really encourage you to spend some time looking further into this this prayer in your own time. In fact, we preached through it uh, in three parts in a sermon series here at BPCC a couple of years ago. If you're interested in re-watching those sermons, you can head to our church website and find them in a series called Praying with Jesus. Now, we are going to read through this prayer together touching on the three key things which Jesus prays for. Praying for glory, praying for holiness, and praying for unity. We're going to be moving through the chapter quite quickly, so please keep your Bible or your Bible app open and in front of you as we work through it. So the first part of Jesus' prayer is found in verses 1 to 5. Here he prays for glory. Let's read from verse 1 together. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is here praying for glory, but he's not asking for recognition in the sense that a a human might seek fame. Rather, now that his work on earth is completed, he was preparing to return to the place where he came from. Jesus anticipates that he's reaching the finish line and he longs to return to the Father, a place that he has had since before the world began, a place of eternal glory, together with God the Father as the third person of the Trinity. He is praying for that which is rightfully his. Jesus put aside his place of eternal glory at the right hand of the Father to make us a place with him forever. He put his glory aside so that we could be brought into the glory of our heavenly Father. Our place in glory was earned at the price of the cross. 
And in verse 1, we see the reason for Jesus' request. Glorify your Son, that your Son might glorify you. Now, how is it that Jesus will glorify God? In verse 2, we see that it is by giving eternal life to all those whom the Father has given him. The Father granted Jesus authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. By dying for our sake and by defeating death itself, Jesus has brought glory to the Father. And he continues to glorify the Father by giving eternal life to all those, that's us, who the Father has given him. All those who had placed their faith in him. And in verse 3, we pick up on something very important about this eternal life. Now, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God himself. To have eternal life is not just about living forever. To have eternal life is about being in close relationship with the creator of the universe. It's far more than just existing forever. It is about existing in restored relationship with God himself. By Jesus' definition, eternal life is firstly about quality of life, not quantity of life. We have been given this restored relationship with God himself, and so we know that it's not about career or leisure or money or fun. Life is about knowing God. Life is about walking with God and enjoying him for all of eternity. Eternal life, in a sense, has already begun for us who know Jesus because we have access to the Father through Jesus. By earning eternal life for us, Jesus has brought glory to the Father and he continues to bring glory to the Father. So Jesus prays that he would be glorified so that he may continue to give that glory to the Father by saving us. And Jesus' prayer for glory shapes our approach to prayer as well. We want our prayers to focus on the glory of God. So when we pray, and let's pray often, let's praise and glorify God. Let's acknowledge His glory in our prayer. And let's also pray that He would continue to be glorified in and through our lives. And that is something which Jesus explores in the next section. All too often, our prayers are focused on what God can do for us. Instead, let's shift our focus towards God. Let's ask Him to give us opportunities to do things for Him. Let's ask, in what ways can we glorify our Father? And as we pray, we pray looking forward to the rest of our eternal life. This, this transforms our lives in this world because we have God with us through the Holy Spirit. We, we are grown to be more and more like Him. And the change this works in our lives now just points us forward. It gives us a glimpse of eternity, when this will be fully realized, when we will forever enjoy the best existence possible, to know God, to walk with God, to glorify God in a restored creation forever. The greatest quality of life that is possible.
But it's our lives here and now which Jesus now turns to pray for as his attention turns to our spiritual safety and growth. So Jesus is now going to pray for holiness for his followers in verses 6 to 19. Let's read there. Let's read from verse 6 to 12 first. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me, None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Now, Jesus is here referring directly to his 12 disciples, those who had been following and learning from him for the three years before then, the group who he had chosen to spread the good news of what he was about to do to the world. But what he says remains relevant to all of us who put our faith in Jesus, all of us who, like the disciples, come to know with certainty and believe that Jesus came from God. Jesus even specifies that I am not praying for the world, that is, the world around which doesn't follow him, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. In this passage, Jesus has in mind those who have their faith in him. And as he observes in verse 10, the glory which he has received from his followers is also given to God, because all that Jesus receives is received by the Father, for they are one. When we glorify Jesus, we bring glory to God. This is how we live out what we've already seen in verses 1 to 5, our desire to glorify God. Do you remember this book which I showed you at the start? The sermons of Martin Lloyd-Jones on John chapter 17. Hefty. Now, a past owner of this book, who's read it carefully and, and has highlighted quite a lot of the, of the book, left me some helpful notes in here. Um, on the front, they wrote a page number, page 273. And on that page, there's a highlighted paragraph ending Martin Lloyd-Jones's sermon on the second half of verse 10. That's right, an entire sermon on half of a verse. Now, he writes about this. May I suggest a practical rule for you as I close? I know of no better way of starting my day than by saying to myself every morning, I am one of the people in the world today through whom Christ is to be glorified. I am not here for myself or for anything I want to do. The main thing for me is that Christ be glorified in me. 
And this is the attitude we want to have as we go into our lives. Not because we need to make God happy with us, rather because every new day is a new opportunity to glorify our Father in heaven. We want to remind ourselves, I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm not here to make myself look good, to feel good. I am in this world to glorify Christ in all I do. And then in verses 11 and 12, Jesus prays for protection for his followers. He has protected them until now, but he was returning to the glory that he has always had with the Father, and he prays for their ongoing protection. But what does this protection look like? Well, let's read on until verse 19. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they true may be truly sanctified. Jesus is praying for holiness for his believers. And I want to pause to observe a few key things about this holiness that Jesus talks about. Jesus specifically does not pray that we would be taken out of the world. That is, he doesn't pray that we would get out of experiencing the pain and the hurt and the sadness which is in our world. As he says in verse 15, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus' prayer is that we would be protected from something far worse than physical pain. He prays that the Father would continue to protect his followers after he had returned to the Father. There is that no one who had placed their faith in Jesus would be taken away by the evil one. Unbelief is the danger which Jesus is most concerned with. Rather than being drawn back into the unbelief of the world, Jesus prays that we would be made stronger in our faith. In verse 17, he prays that the Father would sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, to be sanctified means to be made more like Jesus. To have the brokenness, the sinfulness which hurts us and separates us from God, removed from us, to have it healed and replaced by the goodness which the Spirit brings in our hearts. Now, how does this happen? Jesus says it himself, it happens through God's Word. We are sanctified by the application of God's Word to our lives. He has given us the Bible for this reason, that we would know Him and that through it we would grow to be more like Him and that we would grow to be closer to him. This isn't just something which happens on Sunday mornings. This is something which can happen and should happen all throughout our weeks, all throughout our lives. 
especially today in, in our world where we can so easily access Bibles. We can easily obtain a physical copy or we can download free apps which give us the whole Bible on our phones. Now, no matter how much time we spend in the Bible, we won't become perfect straight away. In fact, we won't be perfectly sanctified until Jesus returns for the second time. But Jesus already knew that. And that's why, when he, that's why he came to earth, to give us a way to be right with God, despite the fact that we don't deserve it and can't earn it for ourselves. Verse 19 says, For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus has already done the hard yards for us. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are united to him. And in God's eyes, all his goodness, all his holiness is our goodness and our holiness. It is applied to us. We have no more shame. We then live in light of the status which he has already given us. Imagine, if you will, a peasant boy living in a a medieval kingdom, towers and knights and horses, This peasant boy is adopted by the king. He is taken to the palace. He is officially adopted. The papers are signed. He is given a place on the throne beside the king and all the riches which come with that place. He didn't do anything to earn it. He can't do anything to repay it. He is merely expected to live and act in light of his new status, in light of the person he now is, a son of the king. We have been adopted by the king above all kings. We are sons and daughters of the God Most High. So let's live in light of that truth. Let's walk alongside our king as he continues to grow us. But Jesus doesn't only pray for our individual growth. He prays for our growth together as Christians. And in the last section, verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for unity. Let's read from verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. 
Jesus is clearly concerned with our unity as believers. And this is a unity which reflects the unity of the Father and the Son, as in verse 21. The one God has eternally existed in three persons, three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the relationship within this, the Trinity, is one of perfect love, complete unity. And God has designed us in his image to reflect that unity. And the restoration of this unity is what Jesus prays for, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And Jesus' prayer goes on to show us what happens when we have this unity. Verse 23, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Our unity is to be a witness to those around us, that the world will see that there is something special which ties us together, and that they too will realize who Jesus really is. Our unity is central to our mission. When we treat other Christians poorly, we are a poor witness for Christ. When we show love to other Christians, even when it's difficult, we glorify God and we show His love to the whole world around us. This is captured in a a classic song you may know. They'll know we are Christians by our love. It's a simple song. Part of it says, We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity one day will be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Jesus' prayer for unity should motivate us to live that unity out. And it should also motivate us to pray for the same unity. Pray that we would be given opportunities to show unity to other Christian brothers and sisters. Now, if there are Christians who maybe you struggle to show love to, pray especially that you would be given opportunities to show love to them regardless. This isn't about just getting along well with most Christians. This is about having and showing a love for each other, which others around will see as remarkable in a positive way, which others around will see and want to have also. They will know we are Christians by our love. Let me conclude with another helpful note from this book of Martin Lloyd-Jones's sermons. I found something really interesting and encouraging in the back of the book. On the very, very last page, someone here has, has written in neat cursive pencil, I am rooted and grounded in the love of God. I think that is so central to understanding this prayer, hey? I am rooted and grounded in the love of God. Because of this understanding, we want the priorities of Jesus in his prayer to shape our priorities in prayer because we are rooted and grounded in his love. Because of that, let's pray for glory. Let's pray that God would be glorified and that our words and actions would glorify him. Let's pray for holiness, that we might be shaped into the image of God and that God would protect and sanctify us 
for his glory. That God wouldn't just rescue us from difficult situations, but that in all our difficulties, God would be doing a deeper work in us. Let's pray for unity, that the love of Christ would draw us together, that our unity based on the love of God would be shown to the world around us, that it would be a witness to everyone who sees us. Let's pray for these things together now. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have written down for us, Lord, through your faithful servants, your word, that we would be sanctified, Lord, that we would be grown to be more like you. We thank you that we have this prayer here recorded in John chapter 17. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you would apply these words to our hearts, not just as we get up and go from here, uh, but that as we would go into our weeks and our lives, that we would be living them out. Father God, we pray that we would show your glory, for you are the most glorious person that could possibly be, Father. We pray that you would give us opportunities to glorify you in our weeks. Father God, we pray for holiness. We pray that you would grow us to be more and more like your Son. We pray that you would protect us from unbelief, Lord, but that you would draw us deeper and deeper into faith in you. And Father God, we pray for unity. We pray that you would draw us together by your love, Lord, that you would not allow us to separate ourselves by divisions, but that we would, we would see in each other the love which you have shown us that we would show that love to, to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and that others around would see the love which we do have for each other and that they would understand that it can only come from you. Father God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.